Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Hello, everyone. I am looking for Susan's cell phone number here in the queue because I know she's in Arizona, but I'm not seeing it. Let's see if this 845 number is Susan. Is this you, Susan? No. And we'll go down 
And if you're here, Susan, and you haven't pressed one yet, will you go ahead and do that? All right. No, but this person just did. So let's see. <laughs> Is this you, Susan? Uh, no. no. Okay. Let's try. Even. Let's see. All right. I think I'm just going to go down the line of callers here um, to see if any of these ones are her. Um, in the 919, is this you, Susan? Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. Here we go. 718, Susan? Nope. I can't imagine that she called in that early. So, um, is this one you, Susan? How about this one? Susan? No. I've got Susan. And how about this one? Oh, wow. Hi, not Susan. Okay. <laughs> well, I am going to try calling her cell phone and see if we can get a hold of her because I think I just did all of the callers. I'm not sure if I missed any. 845... I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voicemail box that has not been set up yet. Okay, Susan, if you called in and you haven't pressed one, please do so. And this is... Okay, I'm sorry to go back down the line of callers here, but I missed anybody. No, not not Susan. Okay. And I can imagine you're calling from the eight five four one, but nope. Well, she might not be here. <laughs> that make you pay attention to me? Is this you, Hello? Susan? Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, Yay. Hey, <laughs> yeah, hello. I hear you. <laughs> okay, great. I was looking for your phone number on there, but you are calling in from the Betsy's. Exactly. I'm calling in for Betsy's, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I didn't have her number, but I'm glad hey. that we finally got through to Thanks for all the callers to your for your patience there. I opened up the line for every caller on here, so. <laughs> oh yes, thank you all for your patience while we muddle through here. It's be- beautiful sunset here in Arizona. 
I just looked at the sunset and said, gee, I wonder if it's 530. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's 535. i got to call now. Yeah. So here we are. It's been raining in the desert. And we've spent mm. the weekend at the Arizona Psychedelic Plant Conference. No, 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 Plant Medicine Conference. Psychedelic Plant Medicine Conference. Friday was devoted to uh, CBD. And Saturday was devoted to research and legalization issues. And one of the really interesting things to me was the difference between legalization and decriminalization. So, for instance, psilocybin is not legalized in Denver, it's decriminalized. It's a little hard to hear you, Susan. Okay. Call back in five minutes. No, we can't. No, I cannot. You cannot do that. No, we're on the air. We have to be on the air. Can, Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Um, but yeah, the okay. the difference between if, legalization and decriminalization is yeah, yeah the that there's legalization uh, and decriminalization. So in Denver, psilocybin is decriminalized. In other words, you can't be harassed or busted for it, but it's not legal to sell it or buy it. Right. Right. The creator and the director of that. Um, a very big organization that's been going on for 32, 33 years to protect the rights of people to use psychoactive plants as therapy as therapists is in phase three trials with MDMA. And if these trials are successful, then the FDA will legalize MDMA for use as ther- for therapist use. Mm-hmm. Was he at the so conference? Is that Rick Roblin? But. Yes, he's mm-hmm. not at the conference, but he was there as a video, video conference to them. Mm-hmm. And Dr. S- Dr. Sisley, um, who does cannabis research, said the last good cannabis research was published in 1999, and since then, all researchers have been required to use a really poor strain of cannabis. Born in Mississippi, and she said, and none of the none of the tests are showing good results. Because, as she put it, it takes eight tokes for anybody to feel anything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Anybody who's ever had quality cannabis knows that if you smoke something that takes, takes eight tokes, it's not very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the yeah. the problem that the, the the cannabis that's where I live is. It's all so strong. I mean, you can get some that has, like, a, a larger CBD ratio these days, but most of the stuff that's grown here is like very, very strong. Right, one choke and you're there. So mm-hmm. she, she did a placebo control double blind study, and she said, unfortunately, what I had to say is that the, the cannabis was no better than the placebo. Now, I would say that slightly differently. I would say the placebo and the cannabis actually were very beneficial for a great number of people. As a matter of fact, just one person who's now making a public speaking career of telling other people that cannabis got rid of his post-traumatic stress is law enforcement officer. And she says, I will never tell him that he had a placebo. Wow. Interesting. Because he's, because he is such a vibrant <laughs> voice for, for legalization of cannabis because of all the good it did him. 
Really, it was just it mind medicine. <laughs> exactly. And it was well, not just it was mind medicine, and it's been Sunday. And not just also, you know, fascinating uh, presentation by Annie and Nat, who runs the only non-denominational peyote church. Ooh. So it's not Native American, and they are they are devoted to preserving peyote. They planted eighty thousand peyote seeds last year. Hmm. Such a cool-looking plant. Yeah, three huge greenhouses, so they're doing wonderful conservation work because the Native American Peyote Church must get wild plants, and because of that, it's close to harvested to extinction. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that they couldn't grow their own. Yes. But they can encourage special dispensation to be able to be growers so that they could actually preserve uh, the plant. Wonderful, wonderful presentation by Annie mm-hmm. and Matt. And uh, then uh, Arizona Corrections Officer, Dr. Robertson. Dr. Robertson, who is talking about using psilocybin um, and how important it would be um, for the population in the prisons. He's a prison doctor. And he's very much for, you know, allowing um, the therapists and the doctors in prisons to use. He says it's supposed to be a correction institution. We don't correct anybody. We just we just make it worse. He said psilocybin would actually correct it. And then yesterday, mm-hmm. just to round out on four days, Betsy and I went to see Fantastic Fungi, the movie. Right. I saw that, too. Starring. Starring Paul Stamets, our favorite mushroom man. So we we totally enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed the um, the visualization of the Neanderthals eating psilocybin. Huh? Yeah, yeah. There were it, it was a beautifully done movie. Um, I really liked uh, yeah. some of like some of the the commentary, like especially by a woman after she had. Uh, on the psilocybin therapy who uh, was facing her own mortality and she um what was her she, oh she had this great quote that yeah it's really worth seeing it's just like a, a total perspective changer for a lot of people i think it, yeah it, you know it talks about mushrooms in general and mycelium and if you haven't read, you know, Paul Stamets' book, Mycelium Running, gives you a lot of the information from there. It's great visuals. And then it segues into psilocybin and uses psilocybin as a healing medicine. And we actually go into a clinic that has several grants for using psilocybin for people with terminal diagnosis. And you, you hear from a couple of the people, like you see them in their sessions, and you, you find out how incredibly powerful and magical this medicine is. Right now, we are told that psilocybin, peyote, LSD, and cannabis are classified as more dangerous and more addictive than heroin and fentanyl. Hmm. Absolutely crazy. Anyone who has any experience Hmm. with those plants. And except for LSD, all three of them, or you know, three out of the four are plants, right? Can tell you that they're completely non-addictive. Most people I know that have taken them are have a great reverence for them, and only you know, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, and this was the point that was made by all the researchers too, is that for most people, taking mescaline once or psilocybin once or twice or even three times, really that's all you need. And that kind of goes back to my experience with apprentices who've taken ayahuasca more than three times, and that the ayahuasca starts to eat their soul. So ayahuasca was also represented at the conference in Ibogaine and Trom, something I would stay totally away from. Um, but it was interesting, you know, and in Abundantly Well, which is due out this week, as a matter of fact, it might be, I have to check my email, it might actually be off the press today. Woo! Wow. So look soon for your What I say in medicine about using these plants is you wouldn't just walk into surgery and let anybody just cut you open with any old knife. You make sure that you have somebody who's skilled and that you have a safe situation. And it's the same thing when you're using psychoactive plants. You're talking about psychic surgery, not the kind of psychic surgery that people do where they supposedly pull things out of you, but real surgery in your psyche. And so it's very important in, in all of the researchers and all of the people who are talking and the movies as well kept saying set and setting. It's very important to have the set and the setting where you feel safe, where you feel confident, where you feel comfortable. So, uh, so far it has been a wonderful work play trip here in Arizona. Sounds amazing. I, wanna, I should make it to a psychic. You might be able to tell I in a car coming home from a little field trip that we made out to see some special things today. And we're, what, about two minutes from home? We're about two minutes from home. And so at home, what's going to happen is that I will switch from Becky's phone to my phone. And while I do that, maybe you could, if you haven't already, tell the people about the guest that we will have tonight in about an hour and a half. Have you already talked about yeah, that? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, okay. So we're pulling into the driveway here. It's beautiful. It's drained the day before almost an inch, and the desert is so green and and beautiful clear sky today with that brilliant Arizona sunshine. And now little clouds that drift in to reflect the pink and the wonderful almost. Uh, almost full moon. And Vicki Noble reminds us that right after the solstice, there will be an eclipse of the new moon and then an eclipse of the full moon, the next full moon, not this one, but the next one. So look up. Lots of things happening up in the the sky. And what have you been doing these days, this week, Rebecca? Um, let's see. We've been keeping our house warm. We've it's been pretty cold here, so we just got a big load of wood. And um, but I'm still out harvesting herbs and stuff. I just went and got a whole bunch more chickweed yesterday, and probably the last of the plantain I'm going to get this year. And, um, yeah, I had um, a sale in my shop last week that kept me really busy. And um, for any of the listeners that got in on that, thanks so much for supporting me. And, um, yeah, yeah, getting ready for the the holiday season over here. Yes, well, our 
you know, work with the plants was cut abruptly short by the huge amount of snow that was dumped on us. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we don't get much snow oh, out here. Time. I mean, sometimes, but... Right. right. Remember I said, yeah. Sarah and I went out and harvested dandelion, and then that was it. It happened the world was covered in snow. Nice but to slow everything down, though. I'm sure the sl- the snow has a nice way of like insulating and making everything a little more still. All right, are you about ready to call back in, Susan? Um, yeah, I've just gotten out of the car and I'm trying to figure out. Do you want me to hang up? How um how to get? Let's see. What I want? Can you hear me still? Yes, and. You'll be calling in on your 845 number. I'm going to be calling in on my 845 number, so Betsy's going to hang up. You're going to tell the people about the guests, and I'll be calling in in a second. Okay, sounds good. So our guest this evening is Kathleena Haley, and Kathleena is an embodiment of the Divine Feminine who works with her guides, and her coding accesses the womb water of an individual's birth so that they are brought back to their original soul expression, creating a rebirth to allow full expression of the soul's imprint. And she uh, resets the crystalline DNA, and I am really interested in this because I've heard a lot of people talking about the crystalline DNA lately, and um, I'm curious about what Susan's thoughts on it are, and um, just uh, I think it'll be a really good conversation, very thought-provoking. So let's see if Susan called back in. All right. She has not. Um, let's see what else it says on here. She accesses human patterning with galactic information and technologies and, and energies. And um, she's in touch with, I found out about Kathleen because uh, she does a conference with um, a bunch of other people that are in touch with like star beings and like galactic families. And I just find that that whole thing is uh, very interesting, you know, to be in touch with these beings. Let me see. It's called the Awake and Empowered Expo. And so if you get on there, you can find a whole bunch of people that are talking about um, galactic families and all this different uh, work that they're doing. Okay, Susan's back on here. All right, Susan. All right. Gotcha. All right. Okay, so we have a bunch of people waiting with questions. Are, do you want to go ahead and jump into that now? Yes, let's jump right into it. Okay. And if you have a question, make sure to press 1 to put your call in the queue. Our first caller is coming from a private number. Hi, Susan. Um, thank you for taking Hi, my question. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Sorry. Um, Susan, I'm the girl, the Teratoma girl, and I'm sorry to call you again. I, I know you said it's okay, but... Um, oh, you're I, fine. Call as many times as you want. Well, I just... I feel like... Um, I, I can't find my list, so I'm just going to try to wing this intelligently as I can. 
I'm in worse pain, even though I am taking pain relief. And I can't seem to just um, go to the bathroom correctly. It's all day long. I'm doing prune juice and my yellow dock. I hope that's the right thing. Yes. Um, and I, I, it just goes on like tiny elimination. And I'm, I'm just in, I'm in a lot of pain. And I know that a lot, there's a lot of people in pain. And I try not to feel sorry for myself. And I, I try not to overdo the, the, the pain relief. But I do the best I can. But I'm just wondering if I don't know. I don't want to tell myself the bad story. I think you've you've educated me enough on that. I I, I don't know. Maybe I I need some kind of encouraging word because I I am deathly afraid of of getting cut open. And I, and I was told when I was in the hospital at the end of July that it, if I did get cut open, it would have to be not robotic because it's it was so big. So I I don't know I felt like it was getting smaller but now it's just painful and I'm seeing blood a little bit of blood and I'm um, not letting that freak me out for some reason it's telling me it's okay and um and 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 I had a feeling I okay oh, sorry go ahead. There's, a big decision, there's a big decision that you need to make right about here do you want to intervene and to heal from that intervention, whatever it is? Or do you want to let whatever is going on go on, which may include killing you? Yeah, I think I, I feel like that's exactly what I'm, what I'm faced with. Yes, that is exactly what you're faced with. And either one of those choices is a good choice. Now, the choice that almost everybody wants you to make is they want uh-huh. you to fight they want you to fight for your life, but you are not required to make that choice if that's not what's in your heart. I have some other lives that depend on me, even though they're animal lives and i i I don't want to leave them because they're old. I don't want to leave them in a lurch. And at the same time, I so, feel like so I can't you want so you want like choose to do whatever it takes to stay in this body. Okay. And that will probably include surgery at this point. And so we can do anything, and we can recover from anything. And the healthier we are when we go into surgery, the healthier we'll be when we come out of it. Right. So if that's what you're choosing, don't second-guess yourself. Say, right now, I am choosing to stay in this body. Whatever it takes, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make the choices that are best for me, but... All of these choices are in pursuit of staying in this body. Okay. Have you ever um, experienced a woman going through this? Because I know in your book it said sometimes it takes a year if they're a little bigger. I mean, I I don't know. Does does it get worse before it's better for some? 
one of us is unique and individual and different. And mm-hmm. while I certainly encourage you to talk to anyone else who has had the surgery and who has gone through this, be aware that what happens to you and how you react to it may be different. Of course. That's, I, I wasn't thinking straight. Yep. No, you're thinking quite straight. It, it, it's a very difficult decision to say, okay, it's important enough to me to stay alive that I'm going to do these very difficult things. It, surgery is incredibly scary to everyone. There's nothing wrong in any way with being afraid of surgery. As a matter of fact, I think it's a very wise thing to be afraid of. And that helps us to make sure that we're really prepared for it and that we're not just doing it um, without forethought. Mm. So, for instance, it's certainly possible to take some time, set aside some time to go into a trance. If that's difficult for you, there are, I'm sure, some recordings that can help you go into a trance and say to yourself in a trance, we are going to be having surgery. And I need for my inner healer to understand that we're going to have surgery and to work with me and to let me know what I need to know to get through this. Okay. And if your inner healer is absolutely dead set against it, you'll start having nightmares about the surgery. It will be very clear to you. And if not, then you will start getting information about how to prepare yourself. I, 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 I've been taking a lot of baths because like three or four a day because that's the only time that it feels really good, like just being hot. And I have, you know, hot water bottles. And that's when I kind of do that. And I am not getting a clear answer, and maybe it's because I'm just so afraid. So I have to, I have to calm down and just try to figure it out. And you also said something about being as strong as I can be to go in. Um, I, I'm getting weaker, there's no question, because I can't exactly. eat as much as I used to eat. I just don't have that. I don't want to fill myself up because I always feel like I have to go to the bathroom and I don't go, you know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I have to do this kind of, kind of quick. Exactly. You need to set a deadline for yourself. When are, when are you going to... Um, Check out who can do the surgery. Well, I kind of, I kind of feel like I know someone. One of my problems is I have to get insurance, but I've already been told by these people at the hospital that that's no problem. Get it, and we'll get you in. They're actually very kind to me, and um, but I feel like I, I gave myself. You had told me about the deadline thing before, and I had given myself to January first because I figured that's probably smart. You can and, always. Your deadline. A deadline is not there to torture you. A deadline is to give you guidance. And once you decide, and you have decided, you're very clear that you are getting worse and that you need to have this surgery sooner rather than later. And I concur with you. Then you do. Then you're not required 
to keep to your deadline. It was a it, it was a guideline. Right. Right. And you, you right. say, hey, things have changed. Things have changed, and I I now need this surgery, and it's time for me to do it. And because I have waited, I don't have time now to wait longer. Now I really need to do it, and need to do it with with some real, you know, let's do it now. Because even if you say let's do it now, there's a long process that you have to go through before you're actually going to be laying there having surgery. I know, especially with the holiday coming. Exactly. So get started sooner rather than later, I think. Thank you for the encouragement. I, I just was sort of in a place of limbo for a while, so I, I just needed to hear that. And I didn't need to hear it from a person that that's their only MO, if if you know what I mean. Like, that's the, oh, oh my God, they'll save you, the holy right. you know, fishermen. I call them the fishermen now. Because <laughs> 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 you, you had said going on a fishing quest once when I was listening to you, and I was like, oh, my God. It's the truth, and I, I guess one thing I'm really horrified about is the way the ER doctor, one of the male doctors that came on later that night I was there, was like, oh, just take everything out, and I was just like, oh, my God, you know, and so I I did find a woman that I think I can I can beg to keep as much intact as possible. Um, I, I there, really... there, will be, there will be an agreement that you have to sign. Get that agreement as soon as you can. And look over it and see what you are signing and whether or not you agree. Right. You don't have to sign every single part of that agreement. You can say, I am refusing this part. And if your doctor is willing to go ahead with you refusing that, then that's okay. They are people you are hiring and paying. Keep that in mind. You're the one who's hiring them. You're the one who's I know, who's but when I feel like what's really horrifying me is, so you've got an abdominal cut, they go in, and they're like, well, we, she told me to save her ovaries, but that's not going to do her any good. We have to, you know, and so they save my ovaries, but then they wake me up and say, well, we got to go back in there and get them because we saw this. So it's like I, I don't know where that trust stops or, or – I. I guess that's just meeting someone face-to-face and feeling that and asking my inner guide to, to, to help me. Exactly. exactly. Thank you, Susan. Sorry to go on. You know, talk, talk to the surgeon. You know, I had one person who was going in for a biopsy, and it was very important to her that she not be put completely out for this biopsy. And the hospital gave her a really hard time about it, but she had already cleared it with the doctor, and the hospital was going to deny her the biopsy, and she said, get my doctor, and they brought the doctor in, and the doctor said, we have already agreed, right? So what she is telling you is absolutely true, and, you know, I want to do the surgery. I've agreed to do the surgery with this woman not having full anesthesia, so if you have that doctor and you've made that agreement with the doctor, then you just stick to your guns, no matter what anybody else at the hospital is telling you, and get them to get your doctor if it comes to that. Okay. And you, you and your doctor can talk about 
what would constitute a necessity. Now, let me tell you this. Ovarian cancer rarely starts in the ovaries. It starts in the tubes. Mm-hmm. And it is and it is considered now a waste to remove a woman's ovaries unless there is disease process in those ovaries. Mm. So that should be pretty easy for you and the surgeon to agree upon that that your ovaries uh, remain yours unless there is specific disease process going on in there, and you and she can talk about what that is and, again, what you want. Right. At this point, what you said to me is you want your life preserved right. no matter what. Right. And if you tell her that, that you want your life preserved no matter what, then she will understand that and she won't then say, well, I'm going to have to bring her back into surgery because she wouldn't want that. That's hard for her right. to do. Right. Okay. She wants to be clear with you about what you want, and you want to be clear with her. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's not necessary to be put out. You can get an epidural just like they use for a C-section, Right. I didn't know that. And that allows you to remain awake and aware during the surgery so that she can say to you, this is what we have found. What would you like me to do? Hmm. You won't have to fight for it. It is not the norm. Right. They may not feel comfortable with it, but Mm -hmm. if that's what you want, then you have every right to have what you want. In other words, it doesn't threaten your health to have an epidural rather than complete anesthesia. Okay. I guess and that's I what just, I'm saying. I want to see this person because I don't want this to be, I wake up, I'm waking up three or four times a night to pee now which I just feel I'm in agony, but then I go pee and I'm fine. I don't want it to be I wake up in such a bad way that I have to call 911 and then I take any surgeon that happens to be in the emergency room. So exactly. I, so you're going to pursue feel this? Okay, okay. Okay? So that you don't wind up having to, as you say, take any surgeon who's available to you right then because you're in an emergency situation. I completely support you in this. This is very wise what you're choosing. Thank you, Susan. And I'm sorry I, I, this has been going on so long. but um, No uh, apology. May, may you continue to call for years in the future. Oh, I hope I get to. <laughs> I hope you get to, too. And with other problems. Uh, oh goodness! Well, there's always going to be something, and I'm going to explain it weird, and you're going to educate me on how to say it, and then I'm going to be smarter again. <laughs> so, again, it's so much fun working with you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, Susan, and I'm so happy that you're having a good time over there. Thank you again. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings to you. The next caller is coming from the five four one area code. And I want to uh, say hi, while we're getting this, 
just one moment. I just want to say that I feel very privileged that uh, this woman has been calling and sharing with us her progression because I think we can all learn a lot from this, you know, as to her desire to not have surgery and her growing understanding that surgery may in fact be right for her to her choice that she doesn't want to have to uh, wind up with anybody, but she wants to have some control over this. So she is going to actively seek that rather than being pushed into it. All right, little summary there, and let's go on to, hi, who are you? Yes, I'm here, um, and thanks for saying that. Um, I am calling because I have an ankle that it won't heal. Um, basically, I have kind of this chronic discomfort that comes and goes depending, you know, how much I've been kind of on my feet and uh, I do tend to tromp around in the garden, in the woods, uh, go on walks. Um, I will ice it at night when I feel that inflammation come on. Um, I've also done various oils for different periods, comfrey, hypericum, uh, comfrey compress as well. Um, but it's been going on since the summertime. And so it's getting pretty frustrating. Yeah. Are you drinking com- are you drinking comfrey infusion? Yes, I am. Um Okay. You're drinking yeah. comfrey infusion and you you have you're compressing it with some comfrey and mm-hmm. you're icing it. Mm-hmm. I, I will tell you that my experience with traumatic injury is that it's quite important with a traumatic injury initially to give it complete rest. Right. And, and that if you don't give it complete rest, it can, as you're experiencing, become extremely difficult to get mm-hmm. it back to full. And that's the strange thing. I don't actually recall at least a moment of injury. Um, I didn't have any kind of big sprain or fall or anything. Um, I just noticed it kind of coming on in the summertime when I was playing softball and doing things like that. So there was never any point at which there was a trauma or an injury. It was just a a soreness that has been gathering and getting worse. Yeah. Do you think it would respond to some time out? Yeah, um, and I've done that. Um, you know, and then I think I, it kind of gets better and I kind of start getting back into my normal activities and it, you know, um, will come back. And so maybe I haven't given it the full time out that it needs. Um, so the only other thing I've... How much time after given it? Maybe a couple weeks. That's a, that's a good amount of time out. That's that's an excellent um, start. Usually, if there is an injury, um, I say you know four to six weeks mm-hmm. as the amount of time that's needed to to allow, especially if there's a damage or injury to the tendons or ligaments, those are fairly slow to heal. 
mm-hmm. and and take a good six weeks before they are strong enough to bear activity. Okay. When I tore the ligaments and tendons off my left kneecap, I was put in a cast. I was very young, in my very early 20s, and really didn't know better. I was put in a cast from my ankle to my hip for three months, they said. But that's yeah. how long it would take those things to regenerate to the point where it would be safe for me to walk on that leg. And then afterwards, okay. I wanted I wanted rehabilitative care. And it's at this point, which was 50 years ago, no rehabilitative care was offered. And they said, oh, you'll be fine. And I said, I will not be fine. I need to rehabilitate my entire mm-hmm. leg, which has now been in a cast for all this time. And so I actually had to go out and make my own ankle weights, which mm. actually aren't even suggested anymore, but at that point they were being suggested, and to involve myself in a series of um, continually pushing myself to do just a little more and just a little more rehabilitative care. Okay. Right. So nowadays they find the rehabilitation so important that they even have prehabilitation, that they're putting people in rehabilitation classes before they even have surgery, if they're going to have surgery, so that they're in a better place to rehabilitate. The other mm-hmm. thing that I, that I wonder about is um, the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And those, those tendons and those ligaments, of course, a part of the connective tissue, but so is the fascia. And if what happened happened was that you twisted your ankle, which can happen, and then days later you realize something's wrong, but you don't remember what happened, Uh um, then, then then there's quite possibly some fascial twisting going on, some twisting in the fascia itself, which someone who does fascial release can help you release. Yes, and I have started some of that this last month, and I do notice things, at the very least, emerging a little. Like, I can feel now, okay, I've got some really tight spots, like, going up into my calf and have been working on that a little more. Um, So I need to keep following up with that, I think. That sounds good to me. I'm glad that you're already seeing results from it. And I think, yes, yeah. the follow-up and continuing with that will continue to, to give you some help. I had, you know, kind of an aha moment with that after injuring my ankle. And I knew I had injured it. I stepped off a ladder and twisted my ankle. And um, uh-huh. I was still limping around months later. And mm. I just didn't did not seem to be able to get it to be as strong as I wanted it to be. And at a party, somebody came up and said to me, why do you have that bandage on your ankle? I said, well, because I twisted it and I can't do it right. And she said, oh, it's the fascia. And she unwrapped the ace bandage and went, long for walk on my ankle. And it was fine from then on. Okay. So maybe something a little more um, targeted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this was more like targeted, right? Yeah. Okay. Right yeah, the massage was more like general. She didn't focus in so much on the 
ankle specifically. Right. Well, it's not a massage we're looking for. It's actual fascia. Yeah. Work. It's okay. the fascia directly, which okay. can, which can yeah. in one session, really make a huge change. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I need to look for something a little more, um, yeah, okay. localized, like you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Well, that yeah. really helps. Um, I Yeah, I really appreciate um, just having you to talk to about it um, because, yeah, I was just getting kind of stuck with that. So thank you so much. Yeah, I really hear you. You're welcome. (laughs) Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi, this is Tatiana. Good evening, Susan. Hi, Tatiana. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, good to hear your voice. I missed you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I I have a question. Um, I I tried to to buy the the infusions, uh, the herbal um, linden flower, and they. I I got linden flower and leaves, and my question is... It's okay. It's mislabeled. There aren't really leaves in there. They say that, but it's not true. I can't get them to change it. It's a little bit frustrating. The linden flower has a green part, and that's what's in there. It's not the leaf. And even if it was the leaf, it wouldn't be a problem. I thought so. Uh, So if if it has the leaves, it's okay, but... Uh, wherever yeah, so what I you bought called, not, but what you bought doesn't have the leaves. Yeah, wherever I called, they didn't have it without the leaves. So that uh, does not contain leaves. It is mislabeled. Those are not leaves in it. There are no leaves in it. The leaves of the tree. The leaves are not in that. What you see that is green is the flower. Yeah. It, the flower, the is, flower is white and it has a green tart. Uh-huh. Like the two and little leaves the flower? You, you, got it from, you got it from Mountain Rose, and Mountain Rose sells linden cut and sift, and they label it as, you know, leaf and flower. It's not. It is only the, it's only the flower, and the flower has a green part. And many people prefer to get linden from Frontier, partly because it's correctly labeled, but also because they don't cut it up, and it makes a kind of slimy infusion when it's cut like that. Well, I did ma- I did make tea out of it, and it didn't have anything slimy. It just has a lovely color. Um, Good. So what do I'm- you mean you made with tea? Made tea out of it. How did you make the the, the brew that you drank? Uh, I I I make it every day because I don't have a big container, so it's four cups a day, uh, more or less. And I put two full tablespoons of the dry leaves and um, in boiling water. And uh, that's not enough. That's not enough herbs. Two full tablespoons for four cups is not enough. Not anywhere near enough. Oh, how many tablespoons? One tablespoon per cup of water? 
for four for four cups of water, uh-huh. you need you need one half ounce of herb. It's not a volume; it's a weight. I don't have a weight measure. Don't I don't have so, a scale. No, but do I you have a. Do you have any store nearby you with a scale? Well, I, I I bought them at Sunflower, but they wouldn't do that for me. I guess. Oh, you mean that try one and then... You, you take a bag with you, a plastic bag, and your Linden, and you use their scale to weigh out one half ounce. They, you don't have to ask them to do it for you. You do it using their scale. Since for some reason you don't want to buy a scale, they're very inexpensive, and they're used for all the infusions. So I strongly encourage people to buy a scale. So it will be half an ounce for one cup of uh, drink? Half an ounce for four cups of boiling water, and it needs to be steeped for overnight. You said half ounce for four cups of water. Water, and you let it steep in the boiling water at least. Four hours better. Yes, overnight. I I make it in the evening. I drink it in the morning. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. I had that with oat straw, and linden and red clover. Now, the question is, uh, I have a bare hibernation thing. I I put on weight, and uh, it's not good for my heart. I took my heart to the doctor. They saw an EKG that showed that half of my the left side of my heart is not exactly well, and I said that I'm not doing any tests and not angio plus whatever, I'm not doing it. So I am on one pill of uh, high blood pressure, and uh, yesterday she gave me another pill, she said, to help the heart to work because probably there is some interference or some something on the artery. I do take the mother worth and Hawthorne, as you said, and I'm trying now to get the Gaia so it doesn't have alcohol in it. Why are you trying to get it without alcohol? Because you said the alcohol is not good to have it in alcohol, that that the, the element of the Gaia is not with alcohol, it's milder, or I don't know what. I don't remember I'm why. Sure that, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what I said that you interpreted as that, but I didn't say that. Uh, okay, so it doesn't matter whether mother wart mother wart teacher in alcohol. What I may have said is it's better to be in vodka than in grain alcohol. But yeah, I heard that. I, I can't get the vodka and do it by myself, so I have to buy what's on the market. And you said the Gaia is okay, but lasts only one and what, year. And, what I, and the vodka tinctures are on the market, Catskill Mountain Herbal. I don't have a computer, and I don't have an account, and that's for me a pain in the neck unless I have a phone number. That I, believe I, that, I believe that Catskill Mountain Herbals are sold in Sunflower. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, well, I'm talking with them. Yeah, I buy there, too. All right. So I think you just have to ask them if they have Catskill Mountain Herbals there, Mm -hmm. and those are the ones that are made in vodka rather than in grain alcohol. 
I know they used to have them. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have them now. Well, but they and have again, the... Again, if you are going to choose to put yourself in the hole, because you just described yourself in a hole, well, I don't have this and I don't have that and I can't get this and I can't get that, and that's a hole that you've created and put yourself in. You have every right to do that if you want to, but understand that you're choosing it and yeah, you I'm choosing right up the library, and there are computers at the library that you can use, and you can look up Catskill Mountain Rebels, and there's that telephone, and you can phone them. Yeah. You, you don't, don't know that they can barely walk to the library. If you, want to throw, if you want to throw yourself down a hole, you're certainly welcome if you want to do that. I don't prefer to have people throw themselves down holes and to say, I can't this and I can't that. And make no. life so miserable and impossible. I'm say the opposite. I'm trying to say that I'm Sorry? trying to find the best thing for me, and I'm looking for it. Well, you're and not. I'm, no, this you, I'm, I'm going to argue with you and say you're not because you just told me I don't have a computer. Didn't you say that? Yeah, I don't have the phone number of the Catskills vodka. Know, well, do you, excuse me, excuse me. Do you know that there's a computer at the library that you can use for free? Of course I know, but I can't walk there and I don't have a car. But I can ask someone to do that for me. Look at the hole me. you're creating. Look at the hole that you're creating. I can't. I don't. It's impossible. You're certainly welcome to be in that hole if you want to. No, I just said I will ask uh, someone will you, to look for the number for me. I people who are really focused on getting the best for themselves, they don't say, I can't. And I won't, and there isn't any way. They say, let me figure out how to do this. How can That's I do this? That's what I'm doing, how Susan. I, you don't I, hear me. <laughs> I said I'll ask someone, my daughter, give me the number. That's all. Let's get move on. I, I put on weight because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to move. And that distraughts me. And I'm not sleeping anymore. I don't know if I'm drinking too much tea, but I'm waking up six times a night. Are you drinking more than a quart of liquid a day? No. No. But since I'm drinking these things, I am running to the bathroom almost every hour at night. I'm not used to that. I used to have a better well, sleep. Well, I, I do not think that I do not think it has anything to do with the herbs that you are drinking. To tell you the truth, because none of them have that particular effect. And yeah, all together, all together, the fluids that you're drinking during a day is about one quart. Yeah, probably not more than that. Yeah. So that includes the linden that you're drinking and the other things that you're drinking, and that's about one quart total. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yes. One quart, no, I'm I'm from Europe. One quart is four cups, right? Right, one liter. Yeah, okay, so yes, yes. I do, and and, uh, I believe in it. In addition to the the four cups of Linden, are you drinking other things? Um, No, I would say, you know, when I take the mother work, a wort, uh, maybe I drink a little water after that. 
because it's very bitter, fine. but not not a big deal, not a lot. So there's no, there's no particular reason why. Yeah, Linda there isn't. I don't drink Or mother wort or hawthorn would in any way increase your urination. Yeah, I don't believe, you know, I take, they gave me the lowest amount, five milligrams. I was going to say, however, you are taking a drug, which is probably a diuretic. Uh, well, no, because when I took it in the beginning without the herbs, I didn't have that effect. I take only one five milligram, which is the minimum for for this, and it didn't have that. And you took that for how long before you started taking herbs? Uh, about a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it did give me something else, so we, we changed the pill, and now I'm okay. Good. Yeah. The problem is I'm not moving. I'm in a lot of pain, and I put on weight, and I love to eat. And I know that's, well, say whatever you want. What are you eating? I eat only very good food, but I I admit that I eat for company. Yeah. I eat uh, a little more than necessary, not much. I I never put on weight quickly, nor I release it quickly. I'm very slow with that. But now since I stopped going to physical therapy, I am uh, like a bear. I'm I'm really, you know, I don't sleep well at night, so I sleep during the day, and moving hurts. That's the shingle, whatever. And I am moving in the house. Of course, I am cooking and uh, but not, you know, have no exercise, and uh, I should walk for my heart at least half a, half an hour each day. I'm not doing that. Um, yes, the weather, of course, and the snow and the black ice and all those stuff doesn't help. But I, I want to, I do want to, to feel better, of course. Let me give you an example of what I am attempting to point out to you. Okay. You just told us about a hole that you're in, that you want and feel that it would be good for you to walk however you can't, and you gave a whole list of reasons why you can't walk. And that is a hole in my parlance. You have created a hole that you've thrown yourself down. So I, if I cannot go outside, I walk in my house, and I walk up to three miles a day inside my house. I may not do it all at once. I have a little circuit that I make from my bedroom to the kitchen. And from my bedroom to the kitchen and back again, four times is a tenth of a mile. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> That's quite the distance. So if I want to do a mile, I have to do it 40 times. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is if I want to walk, I am going to find a way to walk. I am not going to tolerate excuses from myself. It's too cold. It's too snowy. You can't go out. You don't have a car. I say to myself, I say, excuse me. I do not accept any of those excuses. 
You want to walk, then you're going to walk inside. I have walked in hotel rooms where I can only go 10 steps in one direction and 10 steps in another direction. Yes, I I remember doing that in in New York City, going up and down 21 stair, steps, uh, not steps, how do you call it, floors, floors. I was doing so, that. So whatever you can do, I encourage you to do it and to build on that. And rather than to say, I can't, this is why I can't, this is in my way, this is in my way, say, what can I do? I have and to put the voice on a recording because I listen to you. I feel so inspired. I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I feel and then, like and then what more? What more? <laughs> right. So Thanks. you you yourself have to interrupt your excuses. The apprentices will tell you that I am just terrible about that. That I don't let them make any excuses ever, and they some of them really loathe me for not allowing them to make excuses because they've lived a life of excuses. No, I didn't, but not in this can in self care. I have a lot to learn. We all do. It's not easy for any of us to take care of ourselves. It's yeah. difficult. It's demanding. You know, it's harder to push ourselves than anybody else. There's certainly no doubt about that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You said it. Yeah. It is, right? So, And so we need a lot of back padding from ourselves when we do it. It's a good work, you know. And, hey, there is nothing wrong with saying if you, you know, and I'll say this, if you walk, you know, 40, 40 circuits here from your bedroom to the kitchen and back again, right, mm-hmm. and do that mile, then you can sit down and have um, some strawberries and yogurt. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I really love it. I'm a pushover. If I offer myself a treat, well, I'll do almost anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you so, so much. You know, you're willing. Be willing to trick yourself. Do what you need to do. And I Thank you for uplifting you. my heart. All right. Green blessings. Good, day. Good night. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Okay. The next caller is coming from the 847 area code. Hey, Susan. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> All right. I'm calling about a literal pain in the butt that I've been having. Okay. Um, I'll try to keep – it's been a little bit of a story. I'll try to keep it brief. It started probably around the middle of October, and um, I'm a landscaper, and I work outside all day, and it was feeling like I just had to go poop all the time. Um it just felt like I was having some digestive issues, and I was ignoring it. And then I had um, – it was kind of getting worse. It was getting to the point where it was actually, like, inside my butt, like my rectum, I guess, um, was starting to yeah. – Yeah, it was It was starting to be some sharp pains and aches going on in there. And then I had uh, an incident where there was quite a bit of blood in my stool, as they say. And That's then my scary. wife – yeah, yeah, and then my wife got freaked out, and so we decided, okay, you know, and I, I, you know, we're really healthy. We drink all the infusions, and 
So anyway, so I decided to go to the doctor and we went to our local physician and she did an exam and it was incredibly painful. And she said, you know, it feels really inflamed. And, um, but, you know, she had nothing to recommend other than going to see a specialist. So I made of an course, appointment. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, so then I went to see, you know, the specialist and, um, there was another incident with a little, you know, with some blood or I, I hadn't even pooped. I just felt like I had to poop and then there was some blood that came out. And anyway, it was the specialist also had absolutely nothing useful to say other than that I need to get a colonoscopy so they could figure out what's going on. So, um, so it's been about a month or six weeks where I've had this issue with my butt and I've been, you know, eating a lot of slippery elm, and I've been doing comfrey infusion, um, fits baths, and they're they're soothing and they help. Uh, actually, at first I thought it might be an infection, and I was I was uh, doing an echinacea antibiotic treatment, but that didn't seem to make it go away after about a week. Um, so right now I've got this colonoscopy scheduled for next week, and. I've never had this done and I've never thought I would have to have a colonoscopy and it's totally crazy. You know, they have it scheduled for like six fifty in the morning and we live an hour away from the hospital and have two little kids and I'm not supposed to drive myself and they want me to drink this half a gallon of, of crud. that's going to make me poop all night, like at one in the morning. And it's just this totally crazy thing. It sounds like a, it sounds like a death wish. Well, um, let me ask you, let me ask yeah, you this. Are you yeah. having this colonoscopy because you want to have it or because a doctor won't give you information unless you have it? What I really want is is answers to figure out, you know, what's going on since all my home remedies aren't really helping me, or at least okay. what I've tried so far has so, been so, helping me. Okay, so, so let's, let's just um, think about what it could be. Yes. Let's think about that. What is what are the what are the possibilities? So what's the scariest possibility? In my mind it would be uh cancer. Cancer, exactly. So the scariest thing is that you might have cancer. Coming down from that, you might have a tear in your rectum. And coming down from that, you it's might have you might likely. have you might you might have hemorrhoids. Yeah, they're not external if there are. There could be internal hemorrhoids, I suppose. Internal, but you can have internal hemorrhoids, correct? Right. So, ha- have you been doing anything that could help correct internal hemorrhoids? Nothing other than what I mentioned. As far as slippery elm, which are good things to good things to do, but I would say you know push a little further into the possibility that it's hemorrhoids, and see what kind of results that you can get from using things that could resolve hemorrhoids. If you don't want to go for the colonoscopy, colonoscopies are incredibly dangerous. They figure that 90 to 95% of people who have a colonoscopy are injured internally due to it. And some people die from the preparation because it can cause kidney failure. 
Right. So if this yeah, is I mean, not I may want to put me that you want, and I hear you. I hear you not wanting it. I hear that you're kind of giving into the doctors because they won't tell you things without it. Um, and this is a power play that's frequently done by doctors, right? I can't tell you anything unless you agree to do this diagnostic thing, which you don't really want to do, but you do it for the sake of the doctor, and already we're off on the wrong step on our healing path. It's so frustrating. We're not healing for somebody else. We're healing for ourselves. And it's, you know, we have to even ask ourselves, why is this doctor, you know, so rude to push me to do something? And the answer is because they're afraid of being sued. They don't want to say, well, let's try these things, and if it's hemorrhoids, then it will get rid of the hemorrhoids, and if it's not, then we might want to, you know, pursue the possibility that it's colon cancer because they're afraid you'll sue them for saying, I had colon cancer, and you didn't find it and treat it promptly. Right, and I, I specifically told her, you know, this doctor, how how much I really don't want to do the colonoscopy, and, um, you know, don't you have any ideas of, like, what it might be or some ideas for treatment? The, the, the only thing, you know, the doctors did is prescribe some um, steroid suppository, which I haven't tried yet because... You know, I don't know much because I don't know what's in it. It just kind of freaks me out. Um, yeah. So, again, you know, it, you are completely within your rights to say, I would like a sigmoidoscopy, which is a much milder test, and it looks up only so far as the sigmoid colon. Well, this is something that's going on in your rectum. You don't need to have something pushed way up into your colon, which is what a colonoscopy is. A sigmoidoscopy, if you want a test, would be far more appropriate for what's going on with you. Doctors don't mm. like to do sigmoidoscopies because they don't make the same amount of money. Right. But again, you are within your rights as a patient. Let me, as I always do, remind us, you are hiring the doctor. You are paying the doctor. The doctor is not there to enforce their will on you and make you do things you don't want to do. The doctor is there to give you access to tests you may want or drugs you may want, but you are the one who chooses whether or not you are going to use those tests are those drugs. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to say yes to a colonoscopy. And what if you have a colonoscopy, which you don't want to have, and they say the results are inconclusive? Right. You would which, be upset, wouldn't you? Yeah, which is yeah, which is another concern. Right, and of course that is a possibility, isn't it? So if you yeah. are comfortable, if you're comfortable doing remedies that could get rid of hemorrhoids, to check out whether or not what this is is hemorrhoids, then that is a way you can go. That's something that you can do. 
if it is colon cancer, you will be waiting a while, not finding that out. And you have to decide whether or not you're comfortable with that or whether you think that there's a strong likelihood that you have cancer. I feel like there's a very small likelihood. That's what I'm picking up from you, is that it does not feel like the kind of emergency that we need to act fast to deal with possible cancer. That we do indeed have the time to use some remedies to see what happens there, right? Because it's one of the possibilities is that you could have internal hemorrhoids. And let's see if we can do something that could relieve that. And if it doesn't work, if it doesn't relieve it, then we will know something, won't we? Right. And we'll know it without having engaged in a colonoscopy. Right. Um, do you, can you suggest some ideas for internal hemorrhoids? In my book down there, and I don't have it because I'm here in Arizona, um, I go through quite a few things. One of the things that kind of stands out for me is witch hazel. The other thing that really stands out for me anytime there's any rectal bleeding or rectal pain is I ask people to stop using any and all forms of pepper. Yeah. Have you already yeah. done that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. And is the pain associated with anything? In other words, is there more pain after you eat or when you don't eat? Or are there any things that you've noticed that you can say, oh, this is connected to my pain or this is connected to the bleeding? No, I, I've tried to pay attention, and it's really hard. It, it seems to just kind of be consistent. You know, it comes and goes sometimes. It's sort of a throbbing thing or stinging pain. Um, it's always like right there, you know, like pretty, like you know, pretty cl- close to yeah. to the butt. But um, right. So yeah, like cancer by its nature gets worse and worse and worse, right? Sorry, what did you say? Cancer by its nature gets worse. Cancer is growing. Right. So when there's when there's cancer, usually the symptoms worsen. Whereas with something like hemorrhoids, it's not uh, unusual for the hemorrhoids to be subtly affected by things that go on in the environment. And so the symptoms tend to be more irregular. Have you have you ever met someone with internal hemorrhoids? Like, is it is it really painful? Oh sometimes? yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And again, those those internal hemorrhoids can even tear 
and that then becomes very painful. Right. Yeah, it could be something like that was going on. Yes, it certainly could. Again, we both know that there is a possibility that this kind of symptom could tell us that there is cancer. You don't feel, I don't feel from my small connection to you, that this is what's happening. We could be wrong. But if you are willing to take the responsibility for yourself to say, I could be wrong about that, but I could be right, then, again, I think that's within the realm of what we can do for ourselves. I get from you, and I could be wrong about this, I get from you a very strong body sense that your body does not want to have a colonoscopy. Yes, that's correct. Yeah? Yes. So I always think it makes good sense to say yes to the body. If the body says don't do that, then I can say, all right, you understand that not doing that could leave me vulnerable in this way. But if what you're saying is that it's really important not to do that, then let's not do that. But we're, but we're going to remain proactive in terms of our health. What the medical profession is most afraid of is that you don't do anything, right? But that's right. not what you and I are talking about, is it? We're talking about you're being actively engaged in your health care to the point where having a colonoscopy at this point would be overkill. Right. Well, the, and the other frustrating thing is that even if they find something wrong going on there, she hasn't, you know, the doctor didn't give me any sense of what the solution would be to fix the problem. You know, like that's she, she couldn't she give me. That's because she doesn't know. So she can't give you that information. What what would be needed to fix the problem would depend on what is found on examination. Right. And so they are reluctant to say anything because they don't know anything and they certainly don't want you holding them to something that might turn out not to be so. Again, that's a place where they're afraid they're going to get sued. Right. Right, so if they say, well, there's a possibility that it's hemorrhoids, and if it's hemorrhoids, we have some surgery that could remove these hemorrhoids. It will be very painful, and it will be slow recovery, but that's what we do. Uh, and then it turns out to be cancer, then you could be upset. And again, it's not even so much you that they're worried about. They're worried about your family, because families will frequently sue doctors if they feel that their family member wasn't given fast enough or good enough care. Uh, that's a good point. Right. So, again, what I'm suggesting is that we not damn the doctors. They're in a difficult place. But that n neither do we have to put ourselves in that difficult place because they are. We can have compassion and understanding of the difficult place they're in and say, 
And thank you, I don't want this colonoscopy. I understand that the information I'm asking for, you cannot give me unless I have a colonoscopy. And therefore, I am withdrawing my request. Okay. So another question. I don't, I, I don't, I don't need you to tell me right now what exactly is wrong because I have come to understand that the procedure for getting that information is not one that is going to make me healthier, and I need some time to see if I can make myself healthier without that procedure. Right. And I'm um, not telling if, you what to do. If you totally no, disagree with me, please go and get the colonoscopy. I'm you know, not in any way no, trying to tell you what you ought to do. Uh, I'm curious if you know if I do decide to go for the sigmoidoscopy, um, less invasive business. Um, do you have any recommendations of pre or post care that I can do for myself? Um, the things, the things you're doing, the slippery elm, and so on, are good things. One of the nice things about a sigmoidoscopy is that again. Um, unlike the colonoscopy, you do not need to be completely knocked out. They usually completely knock you out for a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And so you have major anesthesia, even though it's an in-office procedure. And the sigmoidoscopy, you can ask for and receive a, a lesser anesthesia, which will wind you up being healthier over the long run. And again, we all vary in how we choose to or feel that we can deal with various kinds of pain and various things that might be scary. For some of us, having any procedure which involves putting anything up your rear is so scary and intolerable that the only way that it can be done is to be knocked out, and for those people, certainly that's what's offered. But because there are some of those people, doesn't necessarily mean that you are one or that you need to be treated in that way, right? For me, the scariest My, part is the, being, is the being knocked out. Exactly. So say, say that you want a sigmoidoscopy because you are not going to allow yourself to be knocked out. You can take a firm stand. Yeah. And say, I, I simply will not allow that to happen. And if they scare you, and believe me, they will try to scare you. You could have colon cancer. You could be dead. You have to be willing to say, I am willing to take that risk, if you are. Right. I mean, there's always the possibility also of doing the test. They don't find anything, and it, I'm doing my own treatments, and it persists. You know, in a future date down the road, I could decide to do the colonoscopy. Exactly. Exactly. The fact that you're saying no to it now does not mean you're saying no forever. This is not the right time. 
for you to have the colonoscopy is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to look look at my various resources and books about internal hemorrhoids and see if I can do a few more things than what I've been doing. Yeah. And affirmations are very important. We are constituted so that we pay attention to what's wrong. It's a great way to be. It certainly helps us survive to pay attention to what's wrong. But that can then kind of bite us, right? Because then we go through our day going, something's wrong with my gut. Something is wrong with my gut. I wonder what's wrong with my gut. Well, something's wrong with my gut. And that's not very productive, is it? Right. So affirmations give us a way to move ourselves out of that particular place that our mind so loves to go. So that when your mind starts to say, there's something wrong with your butt, there's something wrong with your butt, then you have an affirmation. And that affirmation may be, every day, my butt is getting better. Every day, I am learning more about what's going on with me so that I am in less pain. And we need these affirmations because we have that part of our brain which tries its best to scare us silly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's there late at night. It whispers in your ear. You're going to die. Get the colonoscopy. Are you crazy? Right? What I say to it is, oh, you're right. I am going to die, but probably not right now. Right. Right. I mean, we are. We're all going to die. It's absolutely true. We're going to die. It's true. Nobody can argue against it. Nobody can say, oh, I'm not going to die because, whoops, I'm sorry, you will. And just as, you know, I was talking to the first woman who called this evening to make that decision, right? What, how much is it important to her that she stay in this body right now? And that's a very individual decision. And nobody can tell you what the right choice there for you is. So we each decide for ourselves how much risk we can take, how much risk we're comfortable with, and how conservative we want to be, even if it means that our conservative approach damages our health. And this is what's often not said in modern medicine, right? We're so frightened for you that we want you to do this thing that actually might injure you and injure your health for years ahead, but at least you'll be safe. Yeah. And for some of us, that, that risk to reward is not sufficiently strong for us. I understand that it's very strong for a great many people. But they would rather not risk it even, even if it's going to 
you know, have a possibility of injuring them because they need to know. And that's absolutely fine. We each have very strong personal differences at that, how much we need to know. You sound like you're pretty comfortable not knowing right now exactly what's going on. Yeah, oh, yes and no. I'm pretty ready to, like, know what's going on also. Yeah. I'd like to know what's going on. Right. And what are some other ways besides the colonoscopy to know? Well, maybe there are medical, there are, Yeah, there are medical intuitives who claim to be able to see what's into the body. Are there any medical intuitives anywhere in your life, in, in your town? What would that be like? No. To ask a medical intuitive instead of somebody with a, with a, um, doing a colonoscopy. And if they mm. said everything is fine, would you trust them? Would you believe them? Because right. not everybody would. And again, that's okay. What we want to know is what is going to work for me? Affirmations work for everybody. Because we all have that part of our mind that's going to try its best to scare us silly. So affirmations, we know across the board. But other than that, it starts to get very individual and you need to be willing, just as you would be with your children, to allow yourself to try things out that may not work. You wouldn't damn your children if they tried something and said, oh, I don't like that, oh, that doesn't work for me, would you? if you have children. Of course not. Right. Be that tender and that caring with yourself. Right. Give yourself that respect and that right, too, to say, I'm going to try out some things. They're not all going to work. I'm going to be attentive to what is going to work for me and choose those things for myself. And I'm going to let what doesn't work drop. And that's okay. It's okay to look at healthcare as a buffet and take a bite of this and a bite of that and go back to the thing that really appeals to you and put the rest of it in the trash. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Would you, all right. Do, would you do it? All a favor, we're all now very involved with what's going on with you. So if you would do, it, do everybody the favor of calling back in three or four weeks and letting us know what's happening, we would very much appreciate that. All right. I will do that. Okay. I will, I will let you know you're still having a pain in the butt. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Really Thanks, Susan. Good night. Good night. Susan, I didn't realize, but our guest has been waiting here for a few minutes into her interview, but here. <laughs> Hello, Kathleen, are you there? Yes, hi, how are you? Yes, I'm here. Okay, let's see. Here we go, Kathleen. Kathleen Haley is an embodiment of the divine feminine. 
Her coating accesses the womb water of an individual's birth, so they are brought back to their original soul expression, creating a rebirth to allow full expression of the soul's imprint. Having incarnated as an Arcturian, an Andromedian, and as a member of the Council of Nine Galactic Collective, Kathleena brings the knowledge of human patterns of existence, along with an extensive knowledge and work of interplanetary and galactic portals. She accesses human patterning with galactic information, technologies, and energy so that she can fully access the original soul's blueprint. Kathleen has a business degree and has worked with many professionals and medical practitioners in her massage therapy practice for over 28 years. During this time, she has personally experienced layers of human patterning, personalities, and life expression. Her background in massage using techniques such as rolfing and myofascial, and I don't know if you heard me talking about myofascial release techniques already this evening, has allowed her to begin to access subtle energies connected to the emotional patterning that can create an individual's life. Through her understanding of sacred geometry, she channels a vibrational device from the Arcturian Collective. Kathleen now uses all of her business knowledge and experience with sacred geometry to align with resetting her own DNA to crystalline DNA. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. It's wonderful to be here. I enjoy sure your... the listeners trade. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the listeners want to know what crystalline DNA is. Okay. Um, well, what your crystalline DNA is, is your soul signature. It's your aspect of source that is uniquely you. And um, it, you know, the way I, I described it, if, if you're interested, actually, and I think your person who has been speaking also talked a little bit about um, the AAE TV uh, YouTube, that's uh, Awaken Empower um, Expo, and they have a, a TV YouTube station. And I did a conference not long ago, and, and there's a video there that I really go into a great detail about the background of the crystalline DNA and where we came from, and I do a couple activations on that on that video. Um, but a little bit of a, a recap of that is that um, source is um, this giant energy, and and source knew itself conceptually, the concept of itself, but it did not know itself experientially, the experience of itself. So it, in essence, expressed out of itself, and I, I use the term expressed very specifically because it's an expression of itself, and it expressed out of itself um, these perfect balls, which became the galaxies, the universe, the planets, and then you. So really what we are is we are a, um expression of source, and that expression of source is what's referred to as your crystalline DNA. And so this um, is in the womb water of the mom. And before uh, birth, the, um, your DNA, your physical DNA, and this crystalline DNA infuse together. 
so that when you're physically born, you're born as who you really are in, in your knowledge of who you are, purely connected. And I can go more if you want to explain a bit more about that, but um, let me keep going. Or so, ev- so, so everyone already has a crystalline DNA. Yes, which yes, in- we have. Yes, we have. We have what's called our crystalline DNA, which is our soul signature. That's our energy. That's our energy signature. That would be like your soul, your essence, who you are. You know, people refer to that. And then you have your physical DNA. So there, there are two. So we have two. And the physical DNA, uh, mm-hmm. we don't think of as being very changeable, but it kind of sounded to me like you were saying that the crystalline DNA can be changed. Did I get that wrong? Well, no, it's not that it can be changed. It's that what happens is, is that when you're born and you come into the physical earth, your crystalline DNA and your physical DNA are basically, um, they're combined together, but you're in what's called pure presence. So you're, 100% here. There's no influences. There's nothing that's, that's gone on. But the minute that influences start to happen in your physical life, then um, y- you, instead of you being who your signature is, and you have to imagine that this idea of this crystalline DNA and your, your unique signature, because if you could imagine source as like a person, and, and this person has different emotions. And each one of those emotions is unique in itself. And if you are one of those emotions, and this idea of like, um, if I'm going to express my emotion, I'm going to express it outwardly. Like if I'm going to send love, I'm going to send love to you, but it's also inside of me. And I'm going to have kind of an idea of what this love's going to do. Well, that that aspect or that that emotion has a very uniqueness to it and so that's you you have a very uniqueness to you all on your own but what happens on the earth is that as soon as we start to have uh, interaction with the physical world our uniqueness tends to follow what we're told because you know, you're 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 told what it means to be a man or a woman, or in your in your family or whatever. You know how to how to do things. So the minute that you're told, you're not just being your unique self necessarily. You're now becoming what you're told. And so this is this idea of this crystalline DNA. What ends up happening is is that you. I, I describe it in the video. I use an example of like a heartbeat monitor. And if, if you think about a heartbeat, it, it does a certain peak. If you've ever seen one, it, it, it peaks up to a point and comes down and peaks up and peaks up, you know, like a point, like it's real sharp if you look at a heartbeat. And imagine that that's your signature, and that signature is the way in which your energy would naturally move, who you are, what you would do, what you'd be drawn to, types of things that you'd be. And so imagine that now you're uh, told what it means to be a man or a woman, or even you're given a name, and a name has uh, an energy to it. But imagine that name doesn't align to you. 
it, it, it isn't it isn't aligned to your signature. So what would happen is is there'd kind of be this little weight put on top of that that peak, so that your signature instead of it being this sharp point, it now is rounded. Well, that and and if if you keep going and you keep putting weights on it, an example I use this in the video that. Think about the ultimate thing we're told is like follow the straight line, do it this way. Here's the way you're supposed to do it. And and you know what's a, a straight line on a heartbeat monitor? Death, right? So, yes. so this is what right. happens is you end up right. You end up having people who have no life in their life because they end up following things. And that's this idea of your crystalline DNA, basically your soul signature, not being yourself. You're now got all these weights and blocks and things in the way so um so i do an, an actual activation that we do a reset of that and basically what we're doing is we're taking you back to the original blueprint we're taking off those energies because the thing is is that it's not just that you have these belief systems they're actual in your auric field, in your energy field, you, you get like little particles that actually collect. And what they do is they, they become little magnets for more of those same energies to come towards you. Because all we're doing in human existence is matching these frequencies in order to be comfortable. That's what's happening. We're just matching. And what you end up matching is all of these belief systems and this, it, it becomes very dense. And so, so your whole life, becomes this energy that isn't you but you keep doing it because you kind of unconsciously decided that that's where you're comfortable and you don't know really I was going to say but, but what happens mm-hmm. is that, that that becomes comfortable then and changing yeah. that becomes un- exactly exactly and that's why that yeah that's exactly why you have so many people that end up in jobs and in relationships that they know deep, deep inside themselves, they know because we do know what our signature is. They know it's not right, but you don't want to change it. It actually becomes more fearful. The illusion because it comes of changing well, this it. Of course, mm-hmm. this, of course, is, this, of course, is what the apprentices faced when there was me because mm-hmm. there are no, you know, no acceptable excuses, no acceptable lies, no yeah. acceptable assumptions. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, once I heard once you say you, that, mm-hmm. yeah, once you start to question everything, it becomes very uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and very scary oh. for mm-hmm. for most of us. So when you're helping mm-hmm. people to refine or realign or nourish their original DNA, do you have certain mm-hmm. ways of dealing with their fear? Because fear is going to come up, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of things that 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 I do. Um, that it it depends on what level. Like I I work on a whole lot of levels. So if I just do, I'll just describe the reset. So the reset itself is an actual. Um, it has an actual sequence. So if we do a reset, what I'm experiencing is that I see you as though you're sitting uh, cross-legged in the giant bowl. And this bowl then begins to close up over top of you. And there's this liquid light that fills up in the bowl. And then it's as though you stand up and you're, you're just sitting there closed with your eyes because this is all an energy. But it's as though you stand up 
and your body gets wrung one way like a towel and then wrung the other way, and then it just washes away into this liquid light, and then it begins to come back into form. And to me, as I'm watching it coming back into, the, into form, the way in which it comes back into form identifies to me the, um, we'll say, the densest aspects of your physical being in this lifetime. In other words, you know, when I said to you about we have these influences that we're told that basically you end up following, well, how I'm watching this, your body or your self come back into form tells me where those are the strongest. And sometimes I see like, like I might see your legs, your physical legs, and I would recognize that, you know, you're affected in some way in your physical legs, either literally in your physical legs, or it's about walking your, your, your life or, you know, moving forward or whatever, you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I intuitively feel all of that going to the energy. Sometimes I see your light body will show up, and so then I know that it's more spiritual of where your struggles are, or, you know, I'll feel different, I'll see different colors and things and emotions. And so, so from just the reset, I can see things like that. Uh, and, I, and I typically will do that with a person. But if you come to me too, I do things like, um, like we can literally change your past because we look at what are called set points and um, set points are in your chronological development. Everything is about patterns, everything. This is where sacred sacred geometry comes in is there's patterns to everything. And so in your chronological development at some age in your life, a lot of people it's very young, like four or five or something like that or whatever you you take in a belief system about something more major in your life. Like an example might be, say, somebody at the age of six takes on a belief system about relationships. And it might be that in order to have a relationship, I have to sacrifice myself and say this is what they, they learned. And maybe they learned it from their parents or whatever. But they take in this belief system. And so that, like little six-year-old, takes in the belief system that, um, to ha- in order to have a relationship, I have to sacrifice myself. So that, that six-year-old goes into her head with that belief system, and then that six-year-old in her head ends up in your head with that belief system. So every time in your physical life that you would come up to anything about relationship, it's always going to end up you have to sacrifice yourself because this is considered the set point, the base belief. And, and relationships are all relationships. So you're tying the same relationship that you have with your body, you have with your partner, you have with money. It's, it's all the same. And so this is the set point. So this is another thing that I do is you can literally go in the energy and you retrieve that six-year-old and bring her into your heart to basically make magic in your life, take her out into light. And what you're doing is you're taking this aspect because it's, it's an aspect of yourself that's basically frozen and you bring it in so that you can now grow up naturally with that. So this is another part of like taking out um, some of those influences that you have. And so I do, I do things like that a lot too um, with individuals. What wonderful images. I'm sure that the listeners want to know how to get in touch with you. 
Well, uh, you can reach me at uh, KathleenHaley.com. That actually right now just takes me to the Facebook because I'm in the process of um, a new website. But I also have FrequencyAdjuster.com, which we'll probably talk about. But I have uh, a channeled metaphysical handheld instrument called a frequency adjuster. I channeled it from the Arcturian Collective, and it creates a zero point um, for you. And so you can learn about that on FrequencyAdjuster.com, and you can, you can look at it. In the video that I just described on AAE TV, uh, I talk a lot about I talk somewhat about the frequency adjuster, but a lot about this. So I think it will give you a bit more information if you're interested as well. Take a look at the, at the video. All right. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you for helping Thank you. people know how to connect with you. Um, Thank you. People might be wondering if this, you know, if you've been like this since you were a child or if you came into this in a particular way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, um, my story is, as a a small child, uh, I came in the world on. There was no off. (laughs) And uh, my my first earliest experiences were that I, um, when I was around adults, which, of course, were my parents, was very, very young, uh, I started to recognize that they would say something out of their mouth, and I would hear their thoughts, and it was different from what came out their mouth. And then I would also feel them their emotions and that was even different from all of the above and it was very very confusing to try to figure out what was real so I um, I kind of withdrew a little bit and then my parents decided um, at about the age of six I got introduced to transcendental meditation so I started to meditate and uh, I, I didn't recognize it at the time but later I realized that there were two individuals that would sit with me when I went into meditation, a male and a female, and we would sit in like a triangle, and uh, it was Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And once I would sit with them, I felt real comfortable, and then I would go deeper, and that's when I uh, went to the Akashic Records, and I met a group called the Council that I work with. It also has uh, Andromedans and Arcturians involved, and and they were teaching me all kinds of things uh, about this, this type of stuff when I, was, when I was pretty young. So it's definitely been with me a long time. Were your, were your parents able to support you in this? Well, my father, I think he was very connected. He, was, um, he wasn't the most balanced individual on the, on the plane, but he kept, he kept trying to bring things in and out, I think, um, I don't think anybody quite knew. I, I was pretty much quiet. I, it, it was hard for me because I was so empathic and I was just picking up so much that I felt um, that I had to kind of take care of everyone. So I'm not sure that they really knew exactly what was going on with me. So it, it, it was challenging. So, so you did mm-hmm. your best to kind of protect the adults around you because you could see they yeah. didn't really know what was going on. And yes. Yes. You, didn't, you didn't want to trigger all that fear in them that would be created if they knew what was going on. Yes, and and that I I felt so much of their fear. They were I felt like there were no adults around, you know. <laughs> it was just it was just Exactly. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know, so I was just yeah. kind of like, wow, I got all this, I don't even know what to do with all this knowledge. And I remember realizing I was small and it was a bit frustrating because I was little and I basically knew too much. It was, it was, it was a little challenging. Right, and, you're, and, you're, and your teachers at school probably were not teaching you much about this. That's true. I was I was very drawn to math um, in school, so that's really what I what I learned a lot. It's a lot of math. Ah, and... the, the sacred geometry piece. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That came in. Mm-hmm. It came in there. How lovely for you. Yeah. No, so that you. so you were able to make use of what the adults had to offer you, even though it was certainly far less than than what you needed at that point. Yeah, I guess it was, uh, you know, it was sort of opening doors. I mean, it was always kind of frustrating, but I, I feel like that things, um, it never, things never really made sense because everything to me seemed very simplistic. So I, I kind of thought everybody knew this, and then I began to realize they didn't as I kept growing. And um, so now I feel like that the time is, you know, I think we're at a great, great time in our in our world where everybody's, you know, a lot of people are waking up, and and I I feel like that I'm very drawn to, and one of my, I guess, purposes being here is to really help bring this type of information, you know, what like what the crystalline DNA is, and and um, and I'm actually getting ready to do a, a second talk. It'll be on January 24th. It's going to be a live uh, Facebook with that same uh, Flower Life organization, and uh, and I'm going to be talking about the actual creation process, our our actual creation process, and I'm I'm going to mirror it with again the um, the physical process, because I think that what we what I I've, I've always kind of known is this energetic aspect, and I don't think it's as understood. And I didn't even have all the details of it. So I think more recently I've been getting a lot more detail, a lot more understanding. And so I'm excited to to know it myself and to share it and help people. That's the idea of doing these activations and things. It's like giving somebody a a real do-over, a a real start, you know, being yourself. And so it's it's all pretty exciting, I think. Now (laughs) it's been challenging having it growing up, but uh, but I think now it's getting very exciting. And of oh, course, right. your work is in, yeah, yeah, yours is all connected I, I, to this, too. I'm glad so. to hear that. And one of the yeah, reasons I you. ask you is because a great many parents who are faced with this really feel at a loss, like they just mm-hmm. don't quite know what to do. And uh, I'm interested, you know, what would you say to parents from your perspective right now? What would you say to your parents? Did they did they help mm-hmm. you? Did they hinder you? Is there something further they could have done? Well, I think I think if my parents had just communicated with me, I think that was the main thing. I think uh, my growing up was nobody talked about anything, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think if we're just open to communication, just talk, you know, just just talk and. And I am, again, I'm, I'm really excited about, I, I work with kids. I, I have worked with kids now, and, and, and there is even this group that, that we're working with, they have what's called the Conscious Youth, and I love it because 
it is designed exactly for this, for kids that have these gifts. And it's so wonderful because they're from all over the world. They come together. They, I think they do it once a month, and they get to play around these gifts, talk about all this, like, woo-woo stuff to, the, to, to each other and, and experiment with all their, their gifts. And, and the parents are, um, are very open. You know, instead of being afraid of it, they're more excited now. So, so I think that's the, that's the thing. You know, don't be afraid of your child. Uh, talk to them. See what they have. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Your child. Yeah. Your child is sane. Even if your child is seeing things you don't see, it's still That's okay. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. I agree. And like all children, they need to be reassured that there are adults that can take care of them if they get in water over their head. Absolutely. Hundred percent. I agree with that. I love yeah, to tell because, kids you you can be and do anything. Of course, always. <laughs> of course, we can be and do anything, but that doesn't mean that we don't intuitively know that there are some dangerous places out there. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to keep them and awake, that, of course. <laughs> right. That, that we we want to know that there are people who've experienced that who can help us. Yeah. At all stages of our life, if we're, you know, doing something new or, or trying something out, we want to know somebody has gone ahead of us. Yeah. Fantastic. And I agree. That, that is one of the really important things that you're providing. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. We are out of time. It is so wonderful uh-huh. talking to you. I could just go Thank on you. and on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Again. Here, tell the listeners again how to get in touch with you and what's available when they do get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, you can reach me at KathleenaHaley.com or at FrequencyAdjuster.com. And, uh, and, and you Kathleen and Haley. spell that for us because you spell it a, a little differently. It's C-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-A, Kathleena Haley, H-A-I-L-L-E-Y. So get those two E's and those two L's in there. KathleenaHaley.com, yes? Correct. And that'll take you to your Facebook page for now. Yes, correct, correct. Where all kinds of goodies await. Yes, thank you. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you to, Mm -hmm. in our last minute together here, please tell everyone who's been listening to you, what's, what's the most important thing, what's the most important thing that you can share with them? right now that can help them? Well, I think that the most important thing that I would say right now is ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Really, really ask yourself why. What is, what, what is, your, what is your reason for doing whatever it is that you're doing? Really go in your heart and ask yourself. So I think that's the most important thing. Kathleen Haley, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you for You're all welcome. that you are doing to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And Rebecca, you and me and tens of thousands of other women are restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And it might be that Abundantly Well is available. Check my website, check Amazon. Woo-hoo! I'm here.
from the action, but I do believe it could be ready. Talk to you all. Let's see. It's going to be a while, right? This is, what, the 10th, so um, next week. We have one more show on the 17th, and we'll have a few weeks off. A few weeks off, but see you next week, everybody. Green blessings. Good night. Good night, everyone. Take care. Thank you.